I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. You can support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. I love having beautiful hair, and Madison Reed helps me do that. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women color their hair with gorgeous, salon-quality, multi-dimensional hair color delivered right to your door on your schedule. Because you look old as up. <laughs> You're talking about my grays? I don't have them anymore because of Madison Reed. You can join me and the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with the promo code WRITERS. writers. That's madisonreed.com and promo code WRITERS. writers. Should we start the show? I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, a podcast about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we look at a podcast that's been called The Australian Keepers. We'll talk about murder and the church in the case covered in Trace. We'll also weigh in on the big news surrounding O.J. Simpson, check in on the season four debut of Breakdown, and find out from Toby what it's like to watch Game of Thrones with no context. So joining me to get all that done is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and the host of These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast, Kevin Flynn. Good evening, Kevin. Good evening, Rebecca, or good morning, or good afternoon. <laughs> That's right. You don't like it when I say what time it is in the podcast, do People you? People are listening at different times. <laughs> all right. And the sun is really shining right now. It is definitely not evening. Also with us is true crime author, journalist, former defense investigator, licensed PI, UFO obsessive, and certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. More rum, more fun, Rebecca. <laughs> That's a thing? That, well, it is. It is this week for me, yes. Are you on vacation, um, too? I'm, well, I'm, I'm working, but I'm on vacation. Uh, you know, I'm having a working vacation so, uh, as with my rum. child is off it. With rum and painkillers. Oh, that sounds like the best Wait, kind of vacation. Just, just in case there's a cultural difference, uh, by painkiller, you mean the mixed drink called a <laughs> painkiller, not, yes, not actual yes. painkillers. No, no. And I have it down to a science now. Four parts pineapple, one part orange, one part coconut. And depending on your level of pain, two, three, or four parts rum. Wow. Oh, nice. And by pain, you mean like yeah. existential pain, not like physical yes. pain, right? Yes. We don't, we don't want people to think like you're stressed out life. She's like rum yes. and painkillers. People think she's suicidal. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. I'm not. Very sad. Good. Very sad. Good, 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 the good. sad story of Laura Bricker and her pain. And finally, the panelist with whom we always agree to disagree, the dystopian noir novelist and co-host of the podcast Radio Free Dystopia, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Bonjour. Hello. Uh, are you mm. saying that because you just came back from Canada, my friend? I, I did. I was up in Montreal for 24 hours. Doing? I mm. went to see Metallica. <laughs> 
at the <laughs> Park Jean Drapeau. Nice. So before we launch into our show today, we need to get some reactions to huge news that broke just before we started recording this podcast. Sorry for the timestamp, Kevin. A Nevada parole board has granted O.J. Simpson parole from prison after he served nearly nine years following a conviction on armed robbery and other charges related to that sports memorabilia caper, something we saw in more detail in that Oscar-winning documentary, O.J. Made in America. I would love to hear each of your thoughts on this news. Kevin, what's your reaction to O.J. Simpson? and being granted parole. Who is this? <laughs> Very funny, Kevin. Uh, I'm Well, I guess I'm not surprised because uh, all the analysts were saying that it was very likely he would get parole. Uh, he had been, by all accounts, a model inmate. His original sentence was pretty harsh for that crime, although a lot of people would like to have some sort of uh, poetic retribution for his acquittal of the double murder charge in the 90s. That's not what he's doing time for. So I'm not surprised. I will say I thought there for a moment there he was going to like when, you know, he's explaining the hardship of having been in prison about how he was, you know, raising two children. I thought he was just about to say these children that he's raising because their mother is not around. I I thought he was right on the tip of his tongue. Right, right. And as a lot of people on Twitter pointed out, these children are used to being without a parent, likely (laughs) because of the murder he committed, allegedly, right? Laura Bricker, what's your reaction to O.J. Simpson's being granted parole? I'm not surprised. I mean, honestly, I think we talked about this a little bit when we watched the documentary last year that it was kind of like the sentence in this case was almost being handed down in a way as sort of, uh, I wouldn't say retribution, but sort of a little bit of retaliatory punishment uh, with regard to the last case, you know, the murder case, which wasn't even related to this. And, you know, by all accounts, if this wasn't O.J. Simpson, if this was anybody else who had been a model prisoner, uh, he's supposedly been mentoring other inmates um, and, and everything that he's been doing while he's incarcerated, you know, we would have expected the same result. What I about think. you, Toby? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add. For the crime that he was convicted of, it seems like the initial sentence was harsh, so him getting parole seems not surprising. Well, I'm just going to proactively get out there in front of all of the hate email I'm positive we're all going to get, because we all all have the same reaction. I'm Mm -hmm. not surprised. I actually think the first sentence was really unjust for the crime (laughs) that he committed, and I think that the testimony of the victim of that crime today points to that. And I think that if you watch Made in America, that O.J. Simpson documentary, they do a really good job showing that this sentence did not fit the crime for which he was sentenced. It does not mean that any of us think that O.J. Simpson is a good person. And it just does not mean that any of us think he is innocent of the other crime for which he is famously accused. I'm not going to speak for my fellow podcasters. Obviously, this is very, very difficult for the Goldman family and for Nicole Brown's family. And we know that. And this is our opinion based on this case and this parole. And please don't send us any hate mail because we think that it's fair that he got paroled for this crime. But we can't (laughs) apply the same standards to our feelings on the Adnan Syed case or right. the Brendan Avery, and not apply it to O.J. Simpson, whether you like him or not. Right. Charles Manson yeah. deserves justice, right? But if you don't have justice for the bad people, then you don't have justice for anybody, right? I'm going to go out on a limb. Um, anybody else think we're going to see O.J. in his own reality show uh, in the near future? Oh, juiced. Not, wouldn't be surprised at all. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he showed up in all sorts of well, weird he, places. Well, actually, the parole board did ask him essentially that kind of thing. 
and he did say that you know he wasn't going to he, he was going to be laying low and trying to stay out of the public spotlight. Well, he still owes, owes the Goldmans what like two hundred million dollars yeah. or yeah. something. Yeah, and although <laughs> some money. Yeah, and although you really can't bring in you know his his arrest and acquittal for the murder or, or the the civil case, and they actually one of the commissioners held up a stack of papers this big. Of you printed out emails, people in favor and opposed to, and I'll talk, and you know, most of them focused on those previous uh, trials. I do think they probably could have asked regarding the civil trial because he is in arrears thirty-three million dollars, right? And how he is going to pay that, you know, is at least a question about what is your your post-release life going to be, right? You know, I know he's got a little pension from the NFL that is not allowed to be applied toward the judgment that the Goldmans are due. It's like fourteen hundred bucks a month or something like that. Certainly not enough for OJ to live in the lifestyle to which I'm sure he's accustomed. But I would not be surprised if there's some benefactor out there that will take him in, and I'm sure he will show up in some places that uh, we'll probably be talking about on the show. Maybe he'll start a podcast. Who knows, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Now, Toby Ball, last podcast we gave you a critical assignment. We outed you uh, that you had never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. I know you're not alone there. We've had some other listeners say they've also never seen an episode. We thought it would be fun to have you watch this season's premiere of Game of Thrones and let us know if you had any questions about (laughs) things you may have seen going on in the show. So did you complete your assignment, and do you have questions? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, it was a little hard to follow quite honestly if you don't have so the only context I really I read the first book and you know and all this stuff is just in popular culture in general so there was some stuff I knew but that being said here were some of my thoughts (laughs) oh I can hardly wait so it seems that Samwell yeah has sort of an ill-defined job (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> is that a question no respo- <laughs> yeah oh well, yes. i don't know uh, oh, is, is i thought i was hoping more? you'd be like well toby do you, you want to feel well, he's gonna, the reason why yeah. he's there is kevin do you want to feel this one yeah he was sent from the wall on behalf of the night's watch to become their new maester he's at the citadel which is the place where they train and so he's the newbie so apparently he gets all the shit jobs literally what is a maester <laughs> Uh, a maester, Remember, Toby has no idea what he's watching right uh, now. A, a maester is a jack of all trades. A it's a monk like wise man. It's like an order of like yeah, smart no, dudes. Well, there's the septons are the religious people. The maesters are the ones that know medicine and reading and scribes and everything like that. Each chain that's that they wear represents another skill that they've learned. So that's what he's there so for. So he's he's basically gone to university to become a exactly, scholar. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And he's apparently like in the apprentice phase. Where he has to empty bedpans and do all sorts of shit. Crappiest jobs. university in the world. No <laughs> well, football. That might team. be like a work study position. It's like a <laughs> shitty. It's like the shittiest Hogwarts that ever was. Right. Exactly. Next question, Toby. What else you got? All right. Uh, up north, mm-hmm. uh, there seem to be a lot of characters who have backstories <laughs> that, that you missed. <laughs> that because there's a lot of like sort of significant looks and like people passing each other. With some tension, but it was completely unclear why, and that's not really a question. Uh, so my question is: I kind of, through the visual, didn't trust the guy who used to play on the wire, the, the Martin yeah. O'Malley character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Middle and finger. My, my guess was based on the fact that he's 
unable to grow a beard that he's not trustworthy. <laughs> <laughs> is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. He's one hundred percent not trustworthy. Yes, Littlefinger is a one of the least trustworthy. His name's Littlefinger. Well, that's his nickname. What's his actual that's name, the, Kevin? Yes. You dork. Uh, Baelish. All right, so Kevin knows all oh, the Peter actual Baelish. names. Yeah. Yes, he's right. he's completely not trustworthy. He has basically wormed his way into Sansa Stark's life through various machinations. He, at one point, he he was he was in love with Sansa so, Stark's he, mother. He loved yeah he Sansa's mother. His, uh, wife through that hole he in did. the ceiling, the sky the window, castle. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, he he was in love with Catelyn Stark, and when she died, he fell in love with her daughter Sansa. So it's like Wuthering Heights, but just crazier. Right, and he's got a tiny wiener. Which is why his name is Littlefinger. No, that isn't why he's Littlefinger. I thought that I thought that no, was why from, his nickname was Littlefinger. No, because he came from the Finger Islands. I thought at the, for oh. the first season they said his name was Littlefinger because he was not well endowed. I swear to God, if I got that wrong, that would be. I think that would be the assumption that most people would make. Yeah, so maybe that's the rumor. <laughs> All right, what else you got, Toby? I don't know. Oh, and by the way, um, you are correct. I'm assuming when you say up north, you're talking about in that banquet hall when they're having that big meeting. Winterfell. Yes, I know, but I'm, I'm clear. He doesn't know what Winterfell is. He's I'm north. filling in well, for they're, you. They're just they're just like walking around, and then there's that that woman who's like dispensing justice on some guy in the in the courtyard. That's and, Brianna Tarth. Is yeah, she's not dispensing and, uh, justice. She's teaching him to fight, Toby. Then there's the guy from um, the guy with the big red beard. Mm-hmm. So he was there. <laughs> there was that scene. Yeah, yeah. I did. I we were watching. Um, some British crime thing uh, over the weekend, and I was like, "Wow, everyone who's in this is in Game of Thrones." It's pretty great, right? Yeah. Or what, yeah. what was it? The Wallander, that like Scandinavian oh. British thing, and like everybody except for Kenneth Branagh basically is also in Game <laughs> of Thrones. All right, Toby, got any other questions for us? The one thing that was hardest to figure out is there are all these fucking castles <laughs> that they swirl around, <laughs> and you just like without context, you're like, w- "It's a CGI castle." Like, I don't, I don't know what, I'm, <laughs> what my re- emotional response is supposed to be for you, this. You're wondering, are you supposed to be able to recognize the significance of the building just from the exterior shot of the building? Is that what you're wondering? Yes, you're supposed to know did, it did from the guys, opening. Are you guys credits. like, "Oh yeah, that's the, that's the castle Stark"? Oh, totally. That's the castle, whatever. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been well, in it for a while. In the little yeah. intro and. You can kind of see what they look like in cartoon oh, form. God. Yeah, the intro is actually the introduction to the show, which is really, really long and kind of gets longer every season, is sort of your map to all the places in the show. And you were supposed to pay attention to that as well. Sorry we didn't well, tell you that in advance. Over at that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so then the last thing, well, I've got a bunch of questions about this guy, but um, the guy Ooh. with the burned face who's kind of like grumpy, but at the same time, the hound, good guy. San- so who, Sandor Lugan- who is he working Lugan. for? He's I, kind of like independent now, yeah. isn't he? Is, isn't he off to like do something? <laughs> like it's well, like they're on their they're way all somewhere. They're off to do something. He, it looks like they're going somewhere. And then there's like yeah. a little like Jesus thing going on or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really smart. It's very clever of you to pick up on that. So I'm just going to simplify it because, Kevin, you're going to get into like the names and the backstory that is going to be way too much. It sounds like Toby figured out he's a former bad guy turning mm-hmm. into a good guy. That's basically what's happening. Did you pick up on that, Toby? There was definitely some tension between him and his his fellows, and he seemed like a guy who has a lot on his conscience. Mm-hmm. Nailed it on wow. the head. Nailed yeah. it on the head. But he, now that he's turned good, I mean, I think this guarantees he's going to be killed this season now that he's actually had some <laughs> redeeming, <laughs> like, goodness. They're like, well, it's time to kill him off now. What's so you know? wonderful now, what, what the show is, is that 
nobody knows where it's going to go. You know, like I don't know. I we, do. don't, we don't have to deal with all those like no offense, uh, the listeners among you douchebags who were like, well, I know what's going to happen because I read all the books. Like we don't know. Nobody knows. So like there's all this sort of stuff swirling around. And I mean, I imagine that what they're going to be setting up is a hound versus mountain fight at right. some point. That's right? his brother is the mountain. That's, I mean, that's the, the one who burned mm-hmm. his face. Yeah. When he was a child, his brother who's horribly cruel. His brother is now, by the way, the giant zombie guard dude that's yeah. guarding the blonde queen who's Seriously. obviously evil that you probably picked up on toby she's evil oh yeah totes evil oh, yeah. yeah and, and she has the a dragon giant... queen's evil no not no, the dragon no no, oh, no. no. other blonde Cersei, queen the one, the one with, with the, the short, short hair. hair yeah oh the short hair yeah that was kind of like yeah i could tell that she was kind of evil but at the same time she was like seemed less evil than that guy who's going to go off and bring her a present <laughs> yes yeah, exactly yeah, that, that sounds pretty creepy yeah <laughs> evil pacey witters i saw him called on the internet because of his weird costume this year he looks like he looks like he got an outfit at Urban Outfitters from last season to this season. I think he's in the synchronicity <laughs> video. <laughs> and, yeah, and what about the uh, the cameo by Ed Sheeran this week? Oh, that was so weird. That was inappropriate. I'm like, what? Seriously? Like, yeah, we didn't need really? that. Are we selling That was out on my now? list of questions until suddenly, like, it was like all over Twitter. Yep. Yeah. It, I, I was they, like, okay. I they've think never really done like a celebrity appearance on Game of Thrones before. I didn't like it myself but well theon Greyjoy is the brother of lily allen yeah and so they wanted the singer lily allen to play his sister who is now that the queen of the the iron isles you know the yeah the one i'm talking about uh, and she thought about it but she she didn't i mean i don't think she would have been recognizable to american audiences as ed sheeran is ed sheeran is like you cannot turn on the radio without hearing that stupid castles in the country yeah. song they're making him sing you know so they're really drawing <laughs> it isn't like when stephen colbert was the big uh lord of the rings fan right. made like a camera you, you couldn't tell he was in it unless you were really looking for him because he was all in makeup and whatnot. But. All right, Toby, I'm going to give you one more. Any more questions you have for us after watching Game of Thrones with no context? The only other thing I noticed was that like one of the guys who I did recognize, the imp, like he didn't even say one word. It was the easiest $2 million he ever made. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, literally, he just like, walked around. And then that castle like apparently had been closed up for a while, and yet there's like... It was like completely pristine, like there were no animals or dust or anything. <laughs> I noticed that as well. I thought I was waiting for like a dead body to be found or something. Yeah, that was where the Red Queen was. Dark and stuff. Yeah, she pulls down that tapestry and then they walk. It seems like everything's pretty cool. Yeah, looking for that smoke baby. That's where what's his face? Yeah, conceived the smoke baby. Where she had the smoke baby, right? She didn't have the Of course, the smoke baby. She's gonna get killed this season too. That was clear. You would remember the smoke baby scene if you'd seen it. Yeah, that was back before they had a huge. You know, it's funny. What's funny about Game of Thrones now is that when the show was first out, it was always a big budget show. But in the first season, like, they didn't have anything close to the budget they have now. Remember, like, they always used to have the dragons, like, in a cage with a blanket over it because it was so expensive to do Uh scenes with the baby Uh dragons. And now it's just like... There's just shit everywhere in the show. <laughs> There's like dragons flying around in the background, you know. And the smoke baby is sort of like from the era of like the not so great CGI. I remember how it just like sort of came out and was like, it was just kind of dumb. When the smoke baby reached out and grabbed her ankles <laughs> pulled and pulled out. itself out in a smoky vapor, and then went to go off on to be an assassin. 
That was pretty wild. It was. It was. Well, it is disappointing. The one thing I'll say is that uh, Peter Dinklage did not have any dialogue because it's the one character I think that Toby would have enjoyed more than any other Mm -hmm. is is what I would guess. All right. Well, Toby, thank you for watching the season premiere of Game of Thrones and bringing us your questions. And uh, if you have any others, you know, you can feel free to ask us in a future episode. Okay. Will do. Welcome to the 29th podcast about uh, Game of Thrones. All right, Kevin, can you please read this for me? It's time for one of these. True Crime Podcast. Update! That was really loud. you got to back up your mic when you do that. <laughs> Look where I am. I know, I know. Now I want to ha- quickly talk about Breakdown. Uh, that podcast is back with episode one of its fourth season, and our old friend Bill is back in the host chair. So here is the setup for Bill Rankin's fourth season of Breakdown. Nearly 20 years ago, in the early morning darkness in a rural town in Georgia, night manager Donna Brown locked up the Taco Bell where she worked and carried the evening's receipts in one of those little zipper bags, about 1700 bucks out to her car. But she never made it because a person with a 44 caliber pistol shot her through the right eye, stole the money, and took Brown's black Monte Carlo. The killer dumped the car not far away at a pizza hut. So at the beginning of Breakdown Season 4, Episode 1, we hear about the alleged killer, uh, Devanya Inman, who is in prison. Um, we actually got a side note from one of our listeners, both on Twitter. We also got one email about this in describing how the victim was ended up being a victim of the crime that she you know walked out of the Taco Bell alone didn't call the cops didn't follow Taco Bell procedure somebody in our Twitter feed and in our email box said that Bill was essentially victim blaming there Kevin do you just want to respond to that real quick I didn't think that at all I mean you had to explain what happened (laughs) yeah yeah I don't know. I mean, I guess, how is that victim blame? Yeah, I'm actually, I actually had the same reaction. And I thought, you know, if anyone. It'd be blaming if she, she didn't, if you point out, she didn't follow protocol. And he did you know, say that. He did say well. that. But I think that was a fact of the case. I mean, that was something that came out in court. And that was something that, you know, I think you have to lay out the facts. And unfortunately, that was a bad fact a bad decision on her part yeah. but you know he had to put that out there i think that's shaming the victim no i think yeah. it's you know and, and i think it's for me when i listened to it i thought he also said that she had what like three kids at home who were probably like with a sitter or something and like who yeah. wants to call the police to get you to walk out to your car you just want to like get the hell out of there yeah. like i don't think i think it was i agree it was just a fact of the case and not victim blaming it was like a little bit of victimology but not victim blaming right that's how i read okay. it but okay so we all agree so moving on the first episode of breakdown I'm interested to know, this is a different approach than we've heard in other true crime podcasts. The first episode spends a long time looking at the lawyers who are chasing the truth in this case, whether or not this was a wrongful conviction. What did you guys think of this as a setup, getting the backstory of these three lawyers and how they ended up chasing the truth on this case? Toby, I'm going to start with you. You know, I wasn't crazy about it. It seems, and maybe we'll talk about this when we talk about Trace too, but that there's this tendency to kind of try and fit these stories into a mold that you're used to hearing about. So it, was, it seemed like each one of these people was like, they thought they wanted to do this, but in fact they found out they wanted to do this. And that's how that led them to being involved in this case. With the exception of the judge, I don't think they came off as being like fully rounded people. The judge, on the other hand, I thought was was kind of an interesting case. Now, Larry, what did you think of this? I uh, this like delving into the backstories. I mean, what I think he was trying to do there was talking about these three lawyers as if they were the sleuth protagonists. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah. That, 
That's that's how I saw it, and I, I saw it as so, sort of going along with you know where public interest has been recently has been in hearing about wrongful conviction cases and hearing about people that are fighting the wrongful convictions on behalf of wrongfully convicted people, and I think this was setting up the story of you know who are these people that are fighting this case, and I I kind of liked how the woman that was the professor was just hanging out you know talking shop with the lawyers when she heard about this case because you know having worked in a law office I can see that happening I actually could visualize that because that's something that happened quite often and maybe there was a little more background on how this woman ended up becoming a law professor than I needed to hear but at the same time you know, it's kind of, plain, you know, putting a complete picture of her out there. So I think we are going to follow the case through these people. You know, that's where I think it's going. So it's going to be told through their eyes with Bill Rankin sort of guiding us. Yeah, I mean, my perception was that they're probably providing him with like a lot of the source material for this, right? Because they're the ones with all the case files. I think what's different about this case is that in the previous two seasons of Breakdown, we this was framed around court proceedings and things that either had happened or were about to happen in a court proceeding. In the second season, it was about an actual ongoing trial. So you're obviously saying that the third season of Breakdown, the one without Bill Rankin, doesn't actually count. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the Bill Rankin seasons. But in this season, it's not clear. I mean, we're looking at something that's sort of like happened and they're sort of fighting to reverse. The hearing doesn't seem to be imminent, right? So, Kevin, I want to talk about something else that Bill does in his writing uh, when he writes these episodes. He spends a lot of time doing something that I think of when I think of your writing style. He talks about place and gives you sort of the quirks and backstory of of different things. You mean like below the gnat line? There's the gnat line stuff, which Uh is kind of like a long explanation of what that means and what it feels like. And then he also does that whole passage about the weird pronunciation of all these town names in Georgia. (laughs) And he's like, it's not this, it's this. And it's, you would think it would be this, but it's actually this. This, To me, this is like very distinctly Bill Rankin style. What do you think of this? And is it it as charming for you as it is for me? It, It is. Not everybody could get away with it because he does have sort of a homespun kind of delivery and writing style. So he could do that. Like, I don't know if, like, a Rabia Chaudhry or a Bob Ruff could do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. But Bill Rankin can Mm -hmm. because it just kind of just feels like he's just in a rocking chair spinning a yarn (laughs) about, you know, the systemic breakdowns in the Georgia legal system. Well, let's just take a quick glimpse at this case. Once again, we have a case on a podcast with no evidence that relies on witnesses. You know, this Mm -hmm. is like this is a familiar story that witness testimony got somebody convicted. And I don't want to spoil our next conversation about Trace. But in that podcast, there are a whole lot of witnesses and potential perps. And it really seems like they need evidence to actually go for a conviction of somebody. And it it seems to me like a lot of the perps in the Trace case would have no problem getting convicted in Georgia, like at all. So WTF, is that just like a uniquely Georgia thing? Is that like a U.S. thing? Laura, did you pick up on that, that this is like a guy spending his life in prison with like nothing but a couple of I told you so's? Yeah, and I think that's what's going to make this a challenging case. Um, You know, and I don't know if it just happens to be coincidence that we have two cases this week that have sort of similar circumstances. The thing that struck me about this case is that this this is not what I would call like a high profile case. This isn't what I would think of as like a sensational case. This is just like your, you know, 
I don't want to say regular, but it's just like a murder case that might have gotten glossed over had this podcast not come along and the Innocence Project not come along because it's not necessarily the case that's like sexy in the news that people would be following. But, you know, that being said, you do have, like you said, not a lot of evidence with this guy. And that's that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as it goes along. Now, Toby, we did hear from Devanya Inman, um, the inmate in this case, the potentially wrong convicted subject of the whole podcast. And we heard that all these three lawyers think that he was railroaded and is not guilty of this crime. We hear a lot about like, he's no Boy Scout, but dot, dot, dot kind of stuff. But we don't hear anything about why they think he was railroaded beyond the fact that they think he was. Do you think that Bill should have teased a little more in this episode about the breakdown that he's going to be exploring in this podcast? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I didn't think, like, if I hadn't heard other Bill Rankin podcasts, I probably would have just stopped listening to this at some point. We talk sometimes about how well things are constructed. I thought this was not particularly well constructed. I think... You know, I, I think these things happen better when you sort of intersperse these little, like, capsule biographies as the people kind of come up rather than laying them all out at the beginning, like front-loading this stuff. So you can probably tell I wasn't, like, overwhelmingly favorable to this, which I, I was kind of surprised at since I, you know, generally like the stuff that he does. Yeah, you know, I actually had the same reaction that you did about the construction because the thing about Bill Rankin's work prior to this on podcasts is that we've all kind of admired how he lays them out and writes them similarly to how he might lay out and write a newspaper series and newspaper articles where you sort of get a lead which gives you enough to make you keep going. And he even like says that specifically sometimes, like, stick with me here. I'm going to explain this now. And (laughs) he does. He like specifically says that. And that felt that kind of construction, that thoughtful, edited, editorial, like newsprint style construction for me was also absent. Laura, did you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of that, but it wasn't as much as I think we've had in previous seasons of this. I mean, there was that, you know, he comes right out and tells you, and this is going to be a breakdown of the justice system. And, um, but I feel like, yeah, I needed a little bit more going into it to get me jazzed up because I have to, I kind of zoned out a little bit as I was like, okay, where is this going? Um, kind of in the middle, I felt like I didn't have as much interest as I might have if I'd had a little bit more of that tease up front that what I would call like the nut graph if I was writing a news story, mm-hmm. which gives you kind of like, why is this important? Right. So, Laura, will you listen to episode two and, and give this podcast a continuing chance? I'm, I'm curious to know, will you follow Breakdown Season 4? I'm going to go thumbs sideways on that because, I, you know, I think if I, this is awful, if I don't have anything else to listen to, I might listen to it because I do like Bill Rankin. Mm-hmm. I, and I love that he's this insider in the justice system. I love his delivery. I love the way he talks. I love how he knows everybody. So I I would probably give it one more episode, I think. What about you, Toby? Where do you land on the will you keep listening scale of uh, season four of Breakdown? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm more likely to like read a brief like summary of what <laughs> what happened mm-hmm. than I think to listen to the whole thing. But I, I don't know. I, I, I was I was I was surprised by how little that episode did for me. What about you, Kevin? Will you keep listening to season four of Breakdown? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, because are you, aren't you going to assign it to us? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to make you listen to something you're not excited to listen to. I mean, are, I mean, I feel like tell you how I feel. Um, I'll always give Bill a shot because I really do like him. I like his writing. I like his work. I would have preferred hearing about, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this case. I'm certain that this case is an interesting case and the story deserves to be told. I would have rather heard about a case he was also covering for the newspaper, not a case that was necessarily thought of as a podcast project or or pitched uh-huh. to him as a podcast project. I think the strength of the work we've heard before on this show was when he's actively reporting the story as he's doing the podcast. And I don't feel like this has that element because him, him working as a reporter is what makes the show different from other true crime podcasts to me. That being said, I will definitely listen to episode two and then decide. So now you have to answer the question. Will you keep listening? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that I didn't get, I wasn't necessarily hooked by the story, but uh, I think that I just haven't heard enough of why this is something I should be listening to to decide. So I will certainly be listening to another episode. I will certainly not be visiting below the nat line. <laughs> The last thing I want to do is go on vacation and be swarmed by insects, <laughs> no matter what they are. <laughs> or um, breathe them in or and have, have them get into your lungs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it just seems like there's nothing that can be done about the gnats. But I think, like, if, you know, there were pests in the house that, like, we have, it's the perfect time to log on to Thumbtack <laughs> and find a skilled local professional that can do that work or just about anything on my list. Wow, you can get an exterminator on Thumbtack. That's exciting. Yeah, Thumbtack just wants to know a little bit about the project that you have in mind. Mm-hmm. Type it in. Then within 24 hours, you'll have up to five estimates from local pros Mm -hmm. and they have over 1100 different categories of services you can hire somebody for carpet cleaners personal trainers piano teachers Hmm. hot tub movers wow sat tutors Ooh, that could come in handy private yoga instructors private tarot card readers (laughs) paranormal investigators (laughs) oh i'm Uh, down with that laura might want that mud jacking I don't know what that is. Mud. What well, is if that? you need if you need mud jacking, they have mud jacking specialists. <laughs> I bet that's some southern thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a construction thing. I think it's much like uh, putting down concrete or something oh, like okay. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, so uh, we, as I think you might have intimated the last time, the problem we have with Square Egg Studio is the dead mouse smell. Yes. So the uh, rodent removal folks came and. I keep wondering whether it's a good thing they say, oh, they took the bait. The mice have really been eating this poison. Uh, so, yeah, so, and we can tell because it smells like John Wayne Gacy's crawl space. Yeah, your house. it's like, I think that's a good sign. <laughs> so Thumbtack makes it easy to find pros for pretty much anything you need done. Download the app or try it now at Thumbtack.com. That's Thumbtack.com. Anything else, Kevin? Yeah, one of the things that you cannot hire someone to do for you is make your bed. Yeah, no kidding. For you, like every time making the bed, it's like the first time. It's like you've never done it before. Yeah, but <laughs> I've been really, have I not been like much more dedicated to making the bed every morning since we've got Brook Linen sheets? Heck yeah, you have, because those sheets are rad. Yeah, Brook Linen awesome. provides high quality sheets and bedding at a price that won't keep you up at night. <laughs> I see what you did there. So, Brook Linen comes in versatile color patterns and it complements just about any 
decor. These are luxury sheets. They really are. You guys got them too. So Toby, share with us your experience with your new Brooklinen sheets. I was asleep for most of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they really they they really are like honestly super comfortable. Like they're the nicest sheets that I've had. It's like going to like a nice like a really nice hotel. Yeah, that's actually where the uh, the folks that invented Brooklyn and they got their inspiration from a, a hotel in Las Vegas. They wanted the sheets and those sheets cost a thousand bucks. Jesus. They, yeah, they said, <laughs> they said, screw that. Wow. So they went and uh, started their own company. That's called paradigm shift, son. <laughs> Can I get my personal experience with Brooklyn and sheets, please? I've been. Di- this is like a sponsor yeah. that I'm actually like dying to talk about yeah. because I'm a super sheet snob, as you know. I buy expensive sheets like a couple times a year because I get like frustrated with like. You know, the dogs lying on our bed or just sort of like things get all weird. And But these sheets, they're like crispy and yet soft. They're just great. They're heavy hand, they, but they're nice and cool when you slip in at night in the summer. But I love that even though they come in like a diverse like range of, you know, different patterns, there are just few enough so that you can find something that fits in your house and you're not overwhelmed like by a million of them. It's like the taste of these company owners is great. The sheets are beautiful and they feel great and you have to learn how to make the bed properly because they look really great when the bed's made. And brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for our listeners. Get $10 off and free shipping when you use promo code CRIME at brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all sheets and comforters. Really? Yeah. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code CRIME at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N. Com. Get it? They're from Brooklyn and yep. it's Brooklinen? Yes. Promo code CRIME. Crime. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. I love them. Not going to lie. I totally love them. All right, now it's time to move on. This week we are looking at the true crime podcast from Australia, Trace. It tells the story of Maria James. She was the mother of two sons who was stabbed to death in her Melbourne bookshop in 1980. The story makes a turn, focusing primarily on two priests who admonished James in front of the parish to which she belonged, and one of those priests allegedly molested her disabled son. The podcast is reported by Rachel Brown, who, despite years of digging an investigation, has yet to make a breakthrough in the cold case. Well, I'd say she's made a few, but... You know, she's yet to make the one that will wrap it all up. So this case in Trace, the setup to the murder scene, I want to talk about the podcast. It's only four episodes. Just let our audience know that. As I like to say, it's relatively low commitment uh, podcast. (laughs) Um, But the setup to the murder scene, the, the first episode, we get all the cast of characters. And it's very much a classic true crime setup where we hear what happened on the morning. We get the ex-husband. Uh, we have the character of the retired cop who has continued to investigate the case. Of course, Rachel Brown introduces herself and she tells the story of what happened to this victim, Maria James, and one at a time brings these characters in as they appeared in the story. Laura, what did you think of the setup of Trace, the podcast? 
I loved the setup. And, uh, you know, episode one for me was the episode that really did draw me in to keep listening to this. I think I had emailed you guys and said, I listened to the first episode and I really like it. You know, I liked the people that we had to hear from, the setup of her in the bookstore that she, you know, was working in. And and also that Rachel had um, really done a lot of legwork to get all the background. And she'd been working on this, this for a long time. And she really knew this case. And that was really clear as you were listening to that first episode. Obviously, it didn't go where I thought it was going to be in future episodes, but the first episode really did draw me in um, with those characters. What did you think, Toby, of the setup of this podcast? Were you drawn in like Laura was when you started listening? Yeah, I was. You know, I at the very beginning when it was like, there's here's this cop who's about to retire and he solved 99% of his cases, but there's one that he didn't solve and it still haunts him, his first case. You know, I was like, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> That's a writing problem then, for you, right? But but then when you get past that part of it, yeah, it drew me in. It drew me in. I, I think it's a the podcast is interesting. There was some stuff in it that I was like kind of head scratching about. Mm-hmm. But I guess we'll probably get to that in a minute. Now, Kevin, one of the things that what Toby just did, that little complaining about that writing One of the things that I know, primarily through you, because you do talk to a lot of cops, especially cops who used to have one job and now they have another or they're retired, um, they really do like talking about that one case that they never solved, right? Oh, yeah. That's a thing. Oh, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, an author, you know, that book that they always wanted to write, that labor of love, only, well, maybe it's this isn't a labor of love. It's certainly a, you know, a point of pride. It's sort of... You know, they pride themselves on on being able to figure out these mysteries Mm -hmm. and to have any of them that are left unresolved and the people that they want to please, you know, the family members and, you know, for their own personal professional satisfaction. Uh, Yeah, these are the things that that really give them restless nights. Now, Kevin, have you ever said to your kid or my kids or would you ever think of saying – if anything ever happens to me, <laughs> dot, 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 this is something that really sticks out to me, that this is the memory the son has of his mom. Do you imagine like ever being in a position where you would say that to your kids? If anything happens to me, please take care of your brother. That's grim, right? Like this woman perhaps uh, setting up maybe that she was foreshadowing herself uh, or do you think that's a memory that her son has? Uh, it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the... the um the reliability of some of these memories is dubious. Mm-hmm. You know, it's certainly not uh, a horrible, you know, memory to have. Uh, it, it's certainly something that maybe a, a single mom who kind of felt like these kids are all that I have or, or I'm all that they have, mm-hmm. uh, they need to stick together, especially if she thought that one of the brothers was being victimized right. and that he would need a protector. Right. Uh, it's just... Well, either coincidental or there was some causation between that discussion and her death. Now, Laura, we hear from the retired cop that we should explain that the bookstore where this woman was killed was actually attached to her residence. And she Mm -hmm. was actually killed in the Mm -hmm. residence part. It was like they described it as being just like an attached sort of all in one space. And we hear that the cops actually set up their investigation HQ in the house uh, and the bookstore. Is oh that bananas God. or is that super bananas? What do you think, Laura? It's fucking bananas. <laughs> like, I was listening to that and I'm like, are you even kidding me? I mean, you hear these stories about these things happening where crime scenes are contaminated and people aren't keeping track of evidence and keeping track of who's going in and out. But this was crazy. And, and, and then 
the poor son wants to come in and just get something and he goes in and there's this big blood stain on the floor and it's like, oh my God. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that right there, this this case, unfortunately, when I heard that, I thought no matter what they find out in this case, depending on what, you know, if this case is resolved, they can go back and attack this evidence and this this crime scene that was basically taken over by the police as their headquarters and that's just this absurd. was 1980 right, right. But, with, but that was I my know, thinking still, too was that was that i you know and she never explicitly said that or closed that loop but that is an important detail especially since they're look maybe going to be looking at dna now to resolve yeah. a case from back like there's yeah. nothing that you can say in that house you know that they won't be able to point to maybe being touched by like 50 dudes with yeah. mustaches yeah. as you yeah. described them one of the cops are like let me put my coffee mug down on this already brown stain here of a regular pattern <laughs> exactly yes Exactly. Now, Toby, one of the things that comes up when they're talking about the crime scene and it stuck out to me, you know, you hear this retired cop giving his theories of the crime based on his experience solving other crimes. You know, he talks about uh, how the victim had many, many, many stab wounds, which definitely to him meant that the um, perpetrator was someone she knew. You know, he, he made some sort of generalizations like that as an investigator that when I hear them, I'm like, yes, you have experience. But I also hear like that's problematic because then you're like ruling out a whole bunch of possibilities. What do you think when you hear a crusty old investigator, you know, giving their theories of crimes based on other cases that they've investigated? Is he an expert and I should just shut up or is that problematic, you think? Shut the hell up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, it's 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 funny in that I you know, you, you obviously have to bring experience into the work, I would assume, as a detective, is you look back on things you've done in the past. I mean, that's what you do in any profession. But at the same time, I guess it just depends on, is that going to restrict your search to a certain area? Or is that just going to inform a larger search when you're like kind of throwing everything into the hopper? Because I, I mean, just within this podcast, either you or Kevin mentioned Charles Manson. And like, if he's going by that reasoning, then like those, like the whole... Sharon Tate and all those people were killed by somebody who knew them, which is, of course, wrong. Right. You know, I, I, I think that's fine. I think when it becomes a problem, it's it has to be rather than this seems to indicate that, mm-hmm. you know. So there's other stuff in there that things that they were taking seriously, which I thought was totally bizarre. Well, like, let's, let's that, talk about that. that. that Are you talking uh, about the other suspects in the first episode? We have like the... Um, the porn magazine neighbor this is with a suspicious dry cleaning. The maybe boyfriend who later killed himself. The married ex-boyfriend. The friendly mailman. The the uh, the guy with the the dirty comic books. He but they don't. I don't think they bring him back up. <laughs> yeah, they're talking. Weird. You mean the neighbor who had his pants dry cleaned in a faraway place? That guy. Right with a with like they thought it was a blood stain. Right after getting an argument because she wouldn't carry his his pornographic comic books right. in her store. That's that's exactly right. He ended up being a suspect. He admitted being at the scene, and I mean they basically in the first episode before they take this turn toward the church they do lay out all of these very intriguing possibilities they talk about her relationships uh for me like the the funniest one was like the friendly 5 a.m mailman or milkman or whatever he was it's like you know but i almost thought that that dry cleaning thing was such a classic like tv show trope of Clearly, you had these pants dry cleaned because you committed a murder. Like someone who stabbed somebody sixty-eight times would probably just throw those pants away if they knew that they could be used as evidence. I'm guessing, and not drive them far away to dry. I don't know. I could be wrong. There's probably not a tiny little blood stain <laughs> on those pants. Yeah, Kevin, what did you think of this cast of characters of suspects that they laid out in the first episode? Well, 
I think that perhaps we went through them too fast. Mm-hmm. I understand, you know, it's only four episodes and, and like the focus does shift to the parish priests. But I guess if I were, I don't know, I mean, I think that we, we just kind of, you know, wasted a lot of the suspense by taking out all of the red herrings right up front. So would you have like split these stories into a couple of episodes and done a couple of suspects and then a couple of suspects and then made the turn to the Yeah, church? I don't know exactly how I would lay it out, but I think my intention would be to save a couple of those people. I mean, we hear about them and then we hear why they're no longer suspects. Mm-hmm. And I guess I would, in the first episode, tell about them and sort of let it hang and then maybe explain later on why they are no longer suspects right. and bring in other people like- as opposed to just... Okay, here are all the cards. It's none now. It's none of these people. So let's switch over here. All right. I so, thought that was uneven. Right. When and it was all in episode one because yeah. in episode two is when the podcast turns into the I Australian. About all those people you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. That was all in episode one. Yeah. And I I listened to all four episodes like in one continuous like mm-hmm. listening session, which is probably why I reckon. And I was also taking notes, which congratulations to me because I always forget to do that. Um, <laughs> so episode two, it makes this turn and that's when it kind of turns into the keepers story. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, we immediately get to, we should have just looked down the street to the Catholic Church and we hear that this priest, Father Bongiorno, who becomes a suspect, actually did the funeral of the woman who died, Maria James. Laura, taking the sort of structure and the heavy-handedness of packing the church into three full episodes and this, all the other suspects into one, talk to me about how you felt about, you know, the story of this guy, Father Bongiorno. Before the revelations that we get, uh, we hear that he has basically shamed this woman publicly in the church, judged her for being a proprietress of a bookstore. In the homily of her funeral. Yes. What yeah. a dick. This, this is why I never went to church. Grow- I mean, because this was my version. I was like, oh, church, they make you feel really bad about yourself there. I, you know, I'm like, what? You know what? It just, as I was listening to this, I was just like, and I hate to say this, but I'm like, oh, another Catholic church story. Like, how many of these stories can we hear how many are out there? I mean, I, it just seems like, Oh, there's a lot out there, but yeah, it just keeps multiplying and just horrible. And and what, you know, the one that the part of this that really affected me was listening to her son. That's disabled talking about this in this Mm. podcast. It was just heartbreaking Mm -hmm. to hear this, but I, you know, go back to it was just like, oh, my God, here we go again with the Catholic Church. Well, Seriously? we did hear this like really great tape of him in his own voice talking to a reporter about yeah. how he wouldn't talk about the confessional. And that was yeah. really strange the way he talked about that, Kevin. Right? He didn't say anything well, like, you know, I'm, I'm forbidden from. Dis- yeah. He, he didn't say any of the things that you expect he would say. He made it like personal. Like it was strange. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As our resident Catholic, can you unpack that for uh, us? Okay, sure. <laughs> First of all, I love, the, I love as the resident Catholic, I do love the knowledge that even in Australia, the parish priest, you had an Irish priest and an Italian priest. And that's, you know, <laughs> kind of like every parish. Is that consistent? It's consistent. That's all, you know, sometimes you have a Polish priest or whatever, but it's always, you know, you always got a mixture of- When the, you were growing up. It's like the Crayola crayon box. You, gotta, <laughs> you, you always got a couple of the primary colors there. Um, you, so, yeah, the confessional- no priest is supposed to ever talk about what happened in a confessional because all it takes is for one to do it, and then nobody goes to confession, and that's the th- that's the practical theory behind it. Right. So other than just saying that, right, he ends up being very cutesy with, I don't see how that would be uh, applied to anything. I don't know what that would have to do. Yeah, it, it almost seemed like he was verbally jousting 
rather than just giving the straight answer. But from everything we hear about... Um, Father Bongiorno? Yeah, I was going to call him Father DiGiorno. <laughs> uh, that's culturally, as a resident Italian in the group, that's culturally insensitive. Yeah, again. Father Bongiorno. Uh, <laughs> sounds like he's a touch hole, so... <laughs> <laughs> it actually did sound that way. I thought it was interesting to hear a bunch of people describe him that way and then to actually hear tape in which he was being a super dick. Yeah. Yeah. It's Father Dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> now, does this harken back to a time in the church where priests could be anything they wanted to be and it's like they had a position in the community yeah. and people just like accepted it, right? And there was a time in our society where priests and doctors and police officers, I mean, they were... Authority figures with a capital A, you do not stand up to them, you do not question them. And uh, in Catholic families, certainly the, the, the local priest reigns supreme. Did so, you have one of those growing up? A Father DiGiorno? Oh, uh, Monsignor, yeah. <laughs> I re- yes, actually, now I recall. Uh, not, not so, I mean, I remember him being a real jerk, but he was, a, he actually, yeah, he called my mother out in church once. What? Yeah, for, oh, if, for not what? wearing a hat to communion. <gasps> Shut up. Yeah. Yeah, this was like wow. this yeah, I, I this was like very early 70s or something like that. Oh my god. Yeah. Poor Sharon. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, okay, and he wow. was old school. So Laura, we hear then that they allegedly have some DNA from the scene that they can compare with hmm. potential perpetrators of this crime. We then hear from the cop who's working with the reporter on this podcast that through some mysterious process that hasn't been undisclosed, that Father Bongiorno has been eliminated as a suspect, but the police won't tell the victim's family how he was eliminated. They won't tell the reporter. And her retired cop comrade in making this podcast basically says to her, like, if they say this is the case, I trust that it's true and you should too. What the hell was that all about, Laura? I was so confused. (laughs) I, I didn't really, I was like, what? I, you know, how how do they know this? And how can we trust this is real? I mean, it just seemed very cloak and dagger. Like, I, you know, I, I left that part very like, hmm. So I was just like, this is, it's just the whole investigation seems to be kind of muddled, to yeah. put it mildly. Kevin, what did you think of this mysterious police investigative thing that we are not allowed to hear about that eliminated a suspect? Uh, I thought, again, it was sort of a, uh, a trust us. And... <laughs> No, just trust us. It's it's hard because you cannot give away too much to civilians on the outside of the investigation. You know, this isn't to say that, you know, the son who was, I don't know, six, ten years old at the time is a suspect. But, I mean, again, these are the things that, like, you don't tell the public because it can hamper your investigation. So are you thinking maybe they have another piece of comparative evidence that well, they don't want to disclose or no, something I think at along the time, those lines? Th- that's what they had. They had what they thought was comparative evidence. Mm-hmm. And then we find out, no, that pillowcase is something else. It certainly wasn't a Brooklinen pillowcase <laughs> because if it were Brooklinen, <laughs> they would have taken very good care of that. Oh, boy. Call back to our advertiser. That's right. Now, if you want to get $20 oh, off your Brooklinen, <laughs> it's brooklinen.com. Use promo code CRIME. crime. All right. Nice callback, Kevin. All right. So, Toby, after this part of the podcast, we kind of get to the Father Bongiorno part and dun 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 here we are back in the keepers again. Second priest enters the picture. I don't mean to make light of it, but it does feel very much like a flashback to when Mm -hmm. we were watching the keepers and we had these mysterious other figures kind of coming in. It was very hazy, um, you know, maybe distorted memories of the people involved. And this is the Father O'Keefe guy. 
we kind of get this whole thing with rumors and innuendo around this guy where there has been some ritualized abuse, some satanic stuff. What do you think of this part of the podcast when they were trying to explain all of that as reasons why we as listeners should maybe believe this guy is a suspect in this crime? Well, if my memory's right, it's because one of the other sort of peripheral people who had sort of fingered him as having sexually abused this other guy then kind of went on to to make these claims about having witnessed as a child these satanic rituals and seeing three people be killed. You know, we went through that here in, what, the 80s with the satanic panic? Yeah. And it was just sort of shown to be, in every instance, total BS. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily that it couldn't have happened, but that, I mean, she, the attitude seems to be, well, you know, it seems kind of weird, but, you know, who knows? Whereas, (laughs) you know, I think here it would be... It would be treated like with a lot more skepticism. Right. Because right. I think that the default now here is if it comes down to satanic ritual abuse, you're probably just wrong. Right. I think that's uh, probably the Australian version of skepticism. They say, <laughs> well, there's this uh, satanic ritual where four people were murdered. Um, <laughs> could be. I Crikey. Mean, he, he seems really convinced of it. I mean, it would be hard, well, yeah, if there's no bodies missing, but, you know, he, he, he I don't want to say. <laughs> I mean, one of the reasons why I think this, this thing is coming out now and why they focus so much on the Catholic Church side of it is they're right now going through what we went through, you know, what, like 10 years ago mm-hmm. with, with the revealing, like, case after case after case after case of, of sexual abuse in the church. That that's happening like literally right now. Right. So I think this probably feels pretty topical. It does. It is. It is more topical right now. I'm not saying that the Catholic Church story is over here, but I think that the Catholic Church story has morphed into different stories about abuse of power. Like right now, a big one here is obviously like the prep school stuff in New England. Like that's what the spotlight team at uh, Boston Globe is focusing on, and other places where there have been abuse of power that echo. And I think in Australia right now, the Catholic Church story is a headline-making story as we speak. And we, I know that because when we talked to the podcaster behind the other Australian podcast that we talked about on the show, Bowerville, I remember looking at his newspaper when I was reading the articles and, like, the whole front page was all Catholic church sex abuse stories. Mm-hmm. So I know that's top of mind there. Now, Laura, one thing that I do want to touch on with you, because for me this was really a fun part of the podcast, there was this forensic session <laughs> about um, DNA and trying to make these mitochondrial DNA comparisons. And at one point in the podcast, Rachel, the reporter, sort of weighs the idea of getting a sample herself to match blood to the murder scene <laughs> by, by perhaps going for a drink with a relative of one of the suspects and then just putting the glass <laughs> in a little plastic bag in her purse and bringing it to the police. And I just thought the whole time, this sounds like something Laura Bricker would so totally do. And it's somehow admissible? <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, a- that's the part I was wondering about. I was like, I mean, I would totally do it, but it's not admissible. I mean, I w- maybe the rules there are different. As I was listening to that part, I was thinking, how is this going to be credible? Right, Even chain though of she was doing so everything. Well, not even that, but it was like, She's not a police officer, even though she got all these nice directives of put it in this bag and then put the other bag and then seal it here and there. And it still seemed a little suspect, to put it mildly. But I I thought that was like, I loved that part. And then when she did finally get 
She got something. She got something. As she was, as she was, yeah, when she got something on her little quest. And I was sad that she didn't reveal what the something was. I was wondering why that was. It was like, there was something that belonged to someone. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> is it baby teeth? Is it, <laughs> is it a toothbrush? Is it a hairbrush? Toenail is clippings? Like, what is it? But yeah, no, I, I thought that was fun because she was definitely becoming a little bit more central to the story at that point as she was taking a lot more initiative. Now, Kevin, one of the things that also struck me as very un-American was this idea of reporter as police cooperator because her initial thing, the question she always had is, can I take this to the police? Should I call the police? Should I take this to the police? Yeah, yeah. And here in the States, like, that's not how it works. If you're investigating a story and you get a lead that helps advance a case, like, you don't cooperate with authorities. Can you just explain that a little bit? Neither side actually in the U.S., neither the police nor the the journalists want that. I mean, they want to be able to cooperate with one another, mm-hmm. and reporters want to get the information, and uh, the police want uh, police to share the right information. They want to right. Sometimes they want to take some proactive techniques and getting the right information out, or, or or whatever. But if a the journalist ends up doing some investigative work and acts as uh, an agent of the government, mm-hmm. one uh, you run into all sorts of journalistic professional ethics questions you know how how can you go to your next source and talk to them without them thinking that you're going to turn them in mm-hmm. and then you also become a witness for the prosecution right and the police do, again don't want you finding the thing that now you have just made it inadmissible mm-hmm. because you acted in a way on behalf of the government uh, whether you meant to or not, I it just the the law that here is very different, specifically in that regard. If she found something, what you are supposed to do is, if you find the DNA and you do whatever, you report it. Right. And the cops can listen to your report and act upon it, or not. Or you might like hire your own lab to analyze the DNA exactly. and then report the story. Right. <laughs> the Boston Globe Spotlight team didn't put everything together and then run down to the Boston Police Department and right. say, arrest these priests. Right. They went and they published it on Sunday and they waited for phone calls and then they went from there. Right. And they weren't sources for the police either. They, they said, weren't sources. Yeah. They, they would say, do what we did and find it yourselves and you'll see what we saw. It may be perfectly acceptable in Australia. So, you know. You don't want to Bob's create. your uncle, but right. around here that wouldn't go. It wouldn't fly, right? All right. Well, this is the part of the podcast where I would like you each, in turn, to give your review of Trace. Do you give it a thumbs up, thumbs down? Do you recommend to our listeners that they check out this four episode Australian true crime podcast? Toby, I'm going to start with you. What do you think of the podcast, Trace? I, I liked it. I give it a thumbs up. Right, what about you, Laura? Um, I'm going to go thumbs sideways. You know, I liked it, but I didn't love it because I you know to me it was it was a very good standard like what I would call a standard true crime podcast um so if that's what you want to listen to you know I'd say listen I feel a little frustrated with how things are ending in it so I think that would be my thumb sideways portion I'm gonna give it a thumbs up because please take this in the spirit with which I mean it it's not a lot of time to invest in an interesting story. If it were 12 episodes and it were balanced the same way where we heard eight episodes about all this theorizing about the church and the priest, I probably wouldn't be so gung-ho on it. But I really like the host, first of all. Her voice is great. <laughs> and I say it's sexist to criticize women's voices, but I don't think it's sexist to say when someone is great at it. Her voice is great. 
she's a part of the podcast in a really fun and engaging way when she decides to turn into a little bit of a Nancy Drew herself. I really like the voices of the victim and the victim's family. And I think it's interesting how they're able to use some of the older assets they have. I like the cop. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. You're interested in like a little summer read. It's like a beach read equivalent for me of a true crime podcast. It's not serial, but it's certainly worth your time and checking out maybe in an afternoon like I did. So thumbs up for me on Trace. Kevin, what about you? You're saying the amount of content is proportional to the size of the actual story. Yeah. It I think a, it is. It isn't a two-episode podcast spread over 12 episodes. Exactly. So yeah. okay. And it's and there are enough fun moments for me and enough in, intriguing moments and enough enough moments where I was emotionally invested to make up for the moments where I wasn't. And I really, really like the host and I like the way it was put together. Yeah. What about you, Kevin? I'm unfortunately going to give it a thumbs down mm-hmm. in the sense that what I'm saying is that uh, you could pass this one by. Um, there are people who will still listen to it and like it and think that maybe the message is important. And don't be mad at me. I'm not telling you that, that, that this crime doesn't matter. That it doesn't matter and that your opinion <laughs> on that you like it is is wrong. I'm telling you, I thought it was pretty weak. Mm. And like Laura said, sort of like where it ends just kind of just feels rather incomplete. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense, you know, that, well, there needs to be resolution, but it just feels more like it just like stops. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to say thumbs down. Nice try. They're still looking for, I mean, we know, they're still looking for who the killer is. Right. And, and, you know, if they can't. And they might know. They might know. I think they know. I'm just going to say it. I think they know. I think that who the killer is is actually one of the people featured in the podcast. Could be, could be. We just have to, you know, if we don't have the right DNA, we may look for another identifying feature like a tattoo. Mm-hmm. Just like the tattoo that Randy and Dave from Bombas Socks got for one another. That's right, the tattoo, the famous tattoo. Yeah, yeah. You know that, like, whenever you buy a pair of Bombas socks, Bombas donates another pair to a homeless shelter mm-hmm. because it's like the number one requested item at, at homeless shelters. And so they said that they would get, they sort of bet each other that they would get a tattoo of the Bombas logo when they uh, donated a million socks. They thought it was going to take 10 years. It took them two and a half years. Wow. Um, and so now they've got this, you know, tattoo. And I don't. if you don't know what the Bombas logo looks like. It's a B. You know where you could find it? On Bombas Socks. At BombasSocks.com. <laughs> check it out. Also check out the great socks that are there. You know, they have no annoying toe seams. So they don't fall down. They have added arch support. So if you have, like, old lady feet, that can help you. They basically have solved all the annoying sock problems you can have. I have an endorsement for Bombas right now that I can make. Because? I have a horrible foot injury right now. My plantar fasciitis. I'm like completely off my feet. I have to wear a stupid boot every night when I go to bed. When I'm on the couch, I always have to have like a stupid ice pack under my foot. And those Bombas socks, those like little athletic socks with a little support on the bottom... They're comfy as heck on my poor injured foot. I'm really enjoying having those right now. For the best socks in the history of feet, <laughs> visit bombus.com slash crime today and you'll get an additional 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash crime, crime for 20% off. Bombus.com slash crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, while you're lying with your feet up, Rebecca, one of the great things that you can do this summer is read a great book. Sure can. But there are so many books out there. How do you know which are the best to read? I don't. I just throw a dart at a board, basically. No, don't throw a dart at a board. Okay. Listen to the good people at Book of the Month. Ooh. Book of the Month is a rapidly growing service with a simple goal to make sure you love 
what you read. So instead of going through a billion new titles, they narrow it down to the top five each month. And you choose what you want, and it gets you know shipped right to you. And with pricing starting at just $10 for new hardcover releases that are usually like 15 bucks. Book of the Month is a great value. Toby, you are a member of Book of the Month. What'd you think of the experience? It's good. It's super easy. The first thing I did was to check out, you know, who the judges were. And I knew some and and knew of a lot of them. And it's a hip group of people who read a ton. And, you know, each of the selections was interesting, had like a nice little testimonial. Then it's just, you just click on the one you want and say, yep, ship it to me. And then a couple days later, it's at your door. Sounds pretty easy. What'd you get? I got a book called American Fire, which is about a rash of arsons in uh, Virginia, like rural Virginia. So you can get a book once a month or once a season, whatever. You still save tons of money. Book of the Month is bound to delight. So get your first book for $10 at bookofthemonth.com slash crimewriters. I didn't know what you were going to say. That's bookofthemonth.com slash Crime writers. writers. See, I knew now, so I could say it with you. Yeah. All right, now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. This week, we return to the infamous and familiar Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Police tried to arrest Travis Tingler last Friday. Authorities thought he was acting kind of suspicious. He was standing in the middle of the road naked, after all. He had been threatening people and appeared to be under the influence of drugs. When Tingler became belligerent, the officers tried to subdue him with a stun gun, but Tingler was holding a cigarette lighter, and when it came into contact with the taser, it burst into flames. The naked man's beard and chest hair caught on fire, and when police tried to pat the flames out, Tingler responded by punching one of them in the face. He has been charged with disorderly conduct, assaulting an officer, and lascivious behavior. So, panel, here's my question. What could the Manitowoc police have done to make this arrest even worse? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Um, They could have continued on and attempted to subdue him with pepper spray after he caught on fire. (laughs) Oh, God. Wow. You really thought this through, Laura. That's horrible. Well, I did because I thought, what kind of stupid thing would happen next as this guy's punching them? They'd be like, he's resisting. We got to pepper spray him, you know? (laughs) Oops, he's on fire. Shit, you know. <laughs> now he's exploded. Toby, yeah. what about you? What could our fine friends at the Manitowoc Police Department have done to make this arrest even worse? Release the body cam videos. <laughs> oh, God. So we could all see it? Make yeah. animated GIFs of the guy on fire? <sighs> that guy's got like, for a guy who's standing naked, uh, he's got like a real good porn star name (laughs) (laughs) Travis Tingler yeah it sounds a lot like Dirk Diggler it does sound like Dirk Diggler Kevin what do you think the Manitowoc police could have done to make this arrest even worse obviously they could have planted the stun gun on Stephen Avery (laughs) oh god (laughs) (laughs) yeah or Brandon Dassey forced Brandon Dassey to take the uh beef for this whole thing, yeah, right? Yeah, and then set his dog on fire, too. Oh, God. I guess oh. uh, things in Manitowoc will never be okay with us, right? Yeah. We need to hear from any listeners we have there to tell us all the wonderful things that happened in that community. We need some balance, don't you think? What's going on at the Manitowoc Boys and Girls Club? Exactly. I, I think somebody tweeted us to come up and, like, it's a good place to go on vacation. <sighs> oh, well, I'm never going to fucking do that. No, you're not. <laughs> go on vacation yeah. there. <laughs> 
Oh, well, the good news is if you commit a crime, there's an excellent chance they'll blame it on someone else, right? It's true. There you go. It's true. <laughs> so, Laura Bricker, before we wrap up this week, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do, because I realized I had gotten away from cats. I was having dogs every yeah, week. Yeah, no um, shit. It's been really a complaint that we've been seeing a lot of on Twitter. <laughs> I have been getting, yeah, I've been getting a lot of complaints. So this week, I'm going to go back to cats. Um, our friend Lillian at Singing Dog Ranch, her cat Goldie, has had a very rough month, and it's an orange male, and I'm a big fan of orange males, obviously, with Stampy. This poor cat has had pneumonia, asthma, collapsed lung, something that sounds like an STD, and now he was bitten <laughs> by a rattler. So wow. get Wait, well, Goldie. Go back to the STD. What was the thing that sounded like an STD that poor Goldie has? It's, I can't print it. Guardia? It sounds Giardia? like oh, Giardia. Oh. That's oh. actually like a, a worm that you get that gives them diarrhea. It's real bad. Our, one of our dogs oh. had that once. It was a mess. <laughs> okay. Well, it sounds like an STD to me. So, you would um, know. Hopefully. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Being cat of the week helps Goldie uh, get on the mend. Feel better, Goldie. I'm not even a cat person, and I feel bad for that damn cat. Toby, quick question for you. What has been going on on Radio Free Dystopia lately? We just dropped an episode about young adult dystopian fiction with a interview with Susan Moger, who's a YA author, and then another interview with Liberty Hardy, who is Liberty. actually one of the Book of the Month judges. Really? And has read like every book ever printed. She's amazing. And she has some great uh, recommendations, both sort of backlist stuff that, that's a little obscure and then some upcoming books in the next few months. Well, I would recommend checking out Toby's podcast with the amazing Meg Heckman called Radio Free Dystopia. And Toby Ball, if our listeners want to reach you on Twitter, ask you questions about your podcast, perhaps ponder, as I do, why Ken Kratz recently followed you. How can they reach you on Twitter? <laughs> what? At Toby Ball NH. That's right, folks. Ken Kratz just followed Toby on Twitter. Now you know. You heard it here first. Laura Bricker, if you want Ken Congrats to follow you on Twitter. How can he find you there? <laughs> um, at Laura Bricker. <laughs> I was I was going to give it a fake. I couldn't think fast enough, though. I'm like, I don't want Ken Cross to follow me. Whose who's Twitter <laughs> handle can I use? And I just couldn't think of anything. So, And Kevin, if our listeners or Ken Kratz wants to follow you on Twitter, how can they find you? Yeah, I'm at Ira Glass. <laughs> no, you are at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoie. And this show is on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And we're also on Facebook. Look for us there and chat with fellow listeners about what you've heard. And you can also judge us for the podcast that we like and don't like. Sign up for our newsletter and use our Amazon link at our website, crimewriterson.com, and listen to our other show, These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. This week's a great one. It features the amazing Amber Hunt, host of the Accused podcast. She helps us dissect a Law & Order episode featuring some cheesy TV journalists and a case that smells a whole lot like the Ponzi scheme perpetrated by Bernie Madoff. Our handsome line producer is Henry Lavoie. Our theme song was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This week, we're recording this show at the beautiful and air-conditioned New Hampshire Public Radio Studios, which thankfully means that Kevin is wearing his pants and we aren't breathing in the odor of dead rodents. At Square Egg Studios. <laughs> On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Share with us your experience with your Brooklyn. I bit my goddamn tongue. Literally bit my tongue saying that. Oh. Yeah, it's going to hurt. That's going to swell up and you're going to bite it over yeah, and over yeah, again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. And for every pair of socks you buy, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. To get a pair or more, visit bombas.com slash crime and you'll get an additional 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash crime. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.